For those that are worshiping here in our celebration service, we want to welcome you and also those at our summit service. We've got a great crowd here, a great crowd there. It's just a good morning here at First Baptist Church. I want to talk to you about, um, well, another hard question. We began a series of messages last week that we've titled Rebuttal True Questions, True Answers, I should say, to Hard Questions. And today we want to deal with the question of why is there suffering? Why is it that people suffer? You know, that's a question that's a little bit theological and a little bit philosophical. And I'm going to show you from Scripture this morning a theological and a philosophical answer to that question. But it's also a very personal question. Why am I suffering? Why do the people I know and I care about suffer? And so I want to share with you from the Bible this morning a personal answer as well. I've written a fable. I've never done this before, but I, I want to begin our time together just, just by reading to you this fable that I have written that I think will help us to have the right mindset as we talk about this very important subject in this crucial question. And so here it is. It's a fable about a lady named Sally. Sally was a young wife, mother of two preschoolers, diagnosed with a rare disease for which there was no treatment. Doctors told her uh, that she would likely not survive even two weeks. So she was filled with fear, as you can imagine, both for herself and for her young family. She spent her last days in the hospital. Communication was very difficult, but she could listen and she could think, and she did both of those things. Her room was dark and sterile and lonely, and Sally wished that someone would come by and say encouraging words but most people just didn't know what to say. What would you say if you stopped by to see Sally? What would you share with her? What would be your counsel, your advice, your encouragement? Well, some people did come by to see her. The first was named Bob. Bob was Sally's Sunday school teacher, and he came by with a message. He said to Sally, Sally, there must be some sin in your life, some sin for which God is punishing you. God has given you now just a few days to repent of your sin. And you need to spend all your last hours and all of your energy seeking God in true repentance. Confess your sins. And he quoted a few verses about the discipline of the Lord and repentance, and Bob left. Sally was crushed. Uh, she wondered what it was that she did that was so bad that it deserved this. She was in agony trying to make sure that she confessed every sin before she died. But then another person came by. Her name is Mary. Mary was Sally's mom's best friend. Sally was glad to see Mary. Uh, she smiles. Mary gives her a kiss on the forehead. And then Mary has a message for Sally. She says this, Sally, if you just have enough faith, God will heal you. You just need to claim the victory. You need to speak what is not as though it were. You need to believe with all your heart and the Lord promises to heal you. God will heal you and you can get out of this bed and you can dance all the way home if you will just have enough faith. And Mary quoted a few verses from the Bible about faith and victory and she left. Now Sally is confused but hopeful. Maybe there's a way out of this. But then she begins to wonder if her faith is strong enough to get God's attention and to get God to heal her. So doubts 
creep back in, and Sally begins to quietly sob. In her tears, she begins desperately to try to muster up enough faith that God would heal her. Well, then somebody else came by, Janice. Janice was the wife of one of the ministers at church, so Sally was hopeful that Janice would have some encouraging words. And Janice had a message. She said, Sally, you need to be thankful for this disease. The Bible says to be thankful for all things. I mean, you know the Bible says to live as Christ and to die as gain, so quit feeling sorry for yourself. If you had the right attitude, you would be thankful for this gift from the Lord. You should be praying, Sally, God, I love you for making me suffer this way. And Janice quoted a few Bible verses about thankfulness, and she left. Now Sally's guilt has just reached a new high. How could she be so selfish to complain about the path that God had chosen for her? And mentally, she began to beat herself up for her unthankful heart. Well, then Howard comes by. Howard is her husband's boss. Sally is glad because she's always looked up to Howard as a man of wisdom. Howard sees that Sally is conflicted. It's as if the advice that she's received from her friends is as painful as the news that came from the doctors. So Howard tries to help. And he says this, listen, Sally, nothing in this life even matters. Life is all about heaven and it's all about seeing God face to face. Your dreams for your life, your dreams about raising your family and growing old with your husband, none of that really matters. All you need to do is to see the face of Christ and your life and your kids and your husbands, none of that will matter. Howard quoted a few verses about heaven and he left. That made Sally not think less about her family, but to think about her family even more. And now she feels guilty for not wanting to give up her family to see the face of Christ. And she wonders why Jesus would have given her a family if it really didn't matter in the end. Well, then one more person stops by, Elaine. This is Sally's sister. When Sally sees her, she sighs, finally someone who knows me so well and loves me so dearly. Surely she'll have some encouraging words. And Elaine did have some words. She said, Sally, I know this is hard, but look at it like this. You've had a good life up till now. You grew up healthy, you walked down the aisle and married your best friend. Your, the births of your two children were great days. That's more than any of us deserve. You remember when our friend died in the ninth grade from a car accident? You remember those kids we saw on the mission trip in Africa who died of AIDS? God has been so good to you. You shouldn't be sad, Sally, for what you're losing. You should be thankful for how the Lord has blessed you. And Elaine quoted a few more verses. Verses about God's goodness and mercy, and she left. Now, Sally feels bad for feeling bad. And she tells the nurse that she doesn't want any more visitors, no matter who they are. And she closes her eyes, and she waits to die. Now, the story will be continued. I know that's a bad place to end. With that in mind, let's, let's see if we can tackle the question, why is it that people suffer? Why is it that people go through difficult times? And, and you can see how, while it, it is a philosophical question, it is a theological question, it's also a very personal question. Why are there tornadoes? Why are there car accidents? Why is there dementia? 
Now, people have stated this question uh, different ways through the years. The classic statement is this. Why is there evil and suffering? And the answer, if God were really good, if God were good and kind, then he would desire to remove the suffering, right? If God, if God were a good God, he wouldn't want us to go through suffering. And if God is all powerful, then he could make his wishes happen. So if God really cares for us, he wouldn't want us to suffer. And if God is truly all powerful, then he would stop all suffering. And so the critics have said, since there is suffering, then it must be true that God is either not good, he doesn't really care about us, or he is not powerful. He can't stop what's, what's happening. The personal way to state the problem is this, and you hear this way more often, Pastor, why am I suffering? Why does it hurt so bad? Pastors say something that makes sense out of what I'm going through. Now, the philosophers uh, call this the Epicurious Trilemma, and the answer they call a theodicy. And there have been many theodicies through the years. Many, many philosophers have given their, their view of how you solve this problem. If God is good and if God is powerful, how can there, how can there be evil? The Bible doesn't really address this from a philosophical point of view. The Bible understands that this is a personal question, and while it gives us some insights into the philosophical, theological side, it, it really addresses the personal side, the personal side. It shows us this theodicy, the answer to this question, it shows it to us in action. And it does so in a number of places. I want you to see Luke chapter 13, and we'll begin in verse 1. Luke chapter 13, verse 1, it's a very simple historical account of something that happened with Jesus and some of those he conversed with. It says, at that time, some people came and reported to him about the Galileans who, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So some people come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, don't you know about this evil that has happened? There was a fight. Uh, there, were, uh, there were some people that got caught in the crossfire and they died, innocent people, and they died. Verse 2, and he responded to them, Jesus responded, do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? Jesus knew what they were thinking, same thing we think when we hear about some tragedy, you wonder what did that person do to cause that tragedy to happen? Are those people somehow worse sinners than the rest of us? Is that why they've suffered evil? And so Jesus says, I know what you're thinking. I know your explanation. And then verse three, he says, no, your explanation is wrong. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Almost seems as if he's changing the subject. I'll show you in a moment how he is not. But he says, unless you repent, you too will die. And then he tells them about another story. Verse four, or those 18 that the tower of Siloam fell on and killed, do you think that they were more sinful than other people who live in Jerusalem? So there was this tower and it fell, it killed 18 people. He said, why did they die? Do you too think that they were more sinful? And he says the same answer again, verse five, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. Now, this, this brief account answers the question. It is the theodicy. It tells us why it is that people suffer, and it's going to address both the philosophical problem 
and more importantly, the personal problem. So let's just make four observations here. And they're very simple. You'll see all four of them. Number one, bad things happen. Do you see that here? Bad things sometimes happen. Sometimes people are crossed in the cult, crossed in the cult fire, caught in the crossfire. Uh, sometimes buildings collapse. Bad things happen. They bring this news of bad things to Jesus. He agrees. He doesn't deny it. He tells them about some other bad things that they may not have thought about. Bad things happen. Now, why is that? Well, let's talk first of all about, about this from a philosophical point of view. F philosophy first. We'll still talk about the Bible in this, but, but, but let's, let's look at this from a, from a more intellectual point of view. And there, there are several ways to answer it. Uh, but let me, this is just an example of one of many. We could say, and it is true to say, that suffering is always the result of evil. Now, I'm going to tell you why that is in a moment, but you've just got to begin there. Suffering is always the result of evil. So if God is going to stop all suffering, then God would have to stop all evil. Okay, you're going to have to put your thinking caps on for this. So if suffering comes from evil, if God is going to stop the suffering, he has to stop the evil. Now, evil would be anything that's a rebellion against the Lord, right? And if God is going to stop all evil, then that means he has to stop your evil and my evil. If he's going to stop all evil, that includes my evil and your evil. That means that I only can do what is perfectly right. If God were to stop all evil, your evil, my evil, I can do no evil, I cannot rebel against God even a little bit, then that means I always have to do what is perfect. Now, in any given time, there's only one thing that is perfect. In any situation you're in, anything you need to say, there's only one perfect thing to do, only one perfect thing to say. And so if God has done away with all evil and God has done away with all of my evil, so now I can only do what's perfect and there's only one perfect thing, then I don't have a choice to make, right? I've just got to do what I've got to do. And if I can't make any choices, then I can't even choose to love God. If you can't choose to turn your back on God, if you can't choose to rebel against God, then you can't choose to love God. Does that make sense? I mean, if, if you take a rock, that rock can't love you. It can't love you because it can't not love you. It's just a rock. And if God were to take away all evil in order to take away all suffering and he were to take away my evil such that I can only do what was perfect. I would have no choice. I could choose no evil, but I could choose no good. I could not choose to hate God or to love God. And so if you follow that argument, it is uh, logically impossible for God to create a world where there is no suffering. And at the same time, people can choose to love and worship God. Now, that's just one philosophical argument. And I could go through and I could have written this message where we just took a whole hour and went through argument after argument. But here's why we're not gonna do that. That's not a very satisfying argument. That is true and it makes a lot of sense and if somebody explained it better than I just explained it, it would make a whole lot of sense. But it's not very satisfying. I mean, imagine going to the funeral home next week to see someone, to see a lady who's grieving over the loss of her husband, and you pull her aside and say, now listen, I can explain this. If God were to do away with all suffering, he'd have to do away with all evil, and he would have to, no, that's not going to be satisfying. That's not going to encourage her. She's not even going to know what you're talking about. And so while that's a true answer, it is not a satisfying answer. 
So now let's look at it from a Bible first perspective. Why is there suffering from a Bible first, first perspective? Well, the Bible simply says that suffering comes from sin. That sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned, you know that. And as a result, suffering entered the world. Suffering. Adam and Eve were cursed. The world was cursed. The dirt was cursed. The air was cursed. Everything changed when Adam and Eve sinned. And that's why we have uh, wicked people. That's why we have people who are less than honest. That's why we all are less than honest. That's why there are tornadoes and coronavirus and everything else. Because when sin entered the world, it corrupted the world and suffering uh, came on its, uh, on its footsteps. Let, 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 me, let me read that to you from a couple of passages in Scripture. I want you to see we're not just making this up. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 17, the Bible says, And God said to the man... This is right after Adam and Eve had sinned. Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until the return of the ground, since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust God said immediately, you sinned and suffering enters, enters the world. This isn't just something we read in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament as well. L listen to Romans 8, beginning in verse 20. It says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. So there is a bondage that the world is in. This decay is a result of sin. And so why is there suffering in the world? Because, because there's sin in the world. Sin brought suffering. Now that's also a very true answer, right? The Bible testifies to that from, from beginning to end. But it's also not a very satisfying answer, right? It, it, you imagine yourself going back to that same funeral and you walk by the casket of somebody that you love and somebody that has been very dear to you. You're not just going to walk up and say, you sinner. You know, that's not going to make anybody feel better. Though, though death comes, suffering comes because sin is in the world, we need something more than that. There are a lot of other Bible first answers we could give. The Bible says that God uses suffering and pain to draw us closer to him. The Bible says that God uses suffering to show us the genuineness of our faith. The Bible says that God uses suffering to take our eyes off the world and focus our attention on heaven. The Bible says that God uses suffering to teach us how to pray. The Bible says that God uses suffering to give us a greater opportunity to bring honor and glory to him and on and on and on. But Jesus gives a different answer here in Luke chapter 13. And I want you to see this. It starts with just the truth that bad things happen. In Luke 13, 1, they bring this news to Jesus, something bad has happened. He doesn't disagree. He says, you're right, something bad has happened, and some other bad things have happened, and he points to that. Let's don't go any, any quicker than Jesus goes. The first thing we should know when we're struggling with suffering, when we have questions we can't answer, we should know that in this world, sometimes bad things happen, and Jesus acknowledged that. Now, the second thing we see in this passage, not just the simple fact that bad things happen, but we see that quick answers aren't always helpful. I really want you to see this. Quick answers aren't always helpful. 
you know, ordinarily when something goes wrong, people have these quick answers. Well, it's because of this. It's because of this. And if you'd have done this, things would have been different. Quick answers. And these people had a quick answer. They just assumed that these people died because they were worse sinners than everybody else. That was their quick answer. But Jesus stopped them. He said, no. And he doesn't then give them some philosophical existential answer it almost seems like he changes the subject and, and you'll see why in a moment he did not but instead of telling them why exactly why those bad things happened to those people he he talks to them about sin he says unless you unless you repent you also will 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 perish he doesn't give a quick answer by the way i wonder what your advice would have been to sally if you had gone to the hospital room and you knew that her, her time was very limited and, and she was about to die and leave a husband and two children, what would you have said to Sally? It's interesting to see, to see how Jesus handles these problems. Here he doesn't give a quick answer. He doesn't explain the philosophy. He doesn't talk about Adam and Eve. He doesn't talk about all possible worlds and use that philosophical language. You know, Jesus always handled these situations, I think, differently than we, than we tend to. Let, let me show you this in another part of Scripture. It's a, it's a verse you probably have memorized. What is the shortest verse in the Bible? Does anybody know? Jesus wept. Okay, if you don't know many Bible verses, memorize that one. And that way, if you're ever in trouble, somebody asks you for a Bible verse, you just whip it out. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. shortest verse. Any of us can, can learn it. Well, so why is that in the Bible? What does that even mean? Jesus wept. So some have suggested it. it's there because it shows us that Jesus had compassion for people. And, and I suppose that's, that's true, but, but I think it means much more than that. Why did Jesus weep? Well, if you go back just a couple of verses, you, you can see the story in context. And I want to read that to you. John eleven thirty two. 32 says, as soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Mary was upset at Jesus because she had sent word that her brother Lazarus was about to die. He was very sick. Jesus, come quickly, come quickly. And you know what Jesus did? Nothing. <laughs> he, he took his sweet time. He didn't come in a hurry. He had other things to do. And when he finally gets there, it's too late. Her brother has died, and Mary is angry about it. You read this verse, it's clear. Angry. Mary is pretty upset. Jesus, why weren't you here? Had you come earlier, my brother wouldn't have died. She wants to know why there's suffering in the world. Why, why, why has this happened? Why didn't you do something about it? Jesus, if you're all good and you're all powerful and you're always on time, then, then why is my brother dead? Now, Jesus... Jesus could have given her a lot of answers, right? I mean, she was wrong on, on every level. And Jesus could have given her a theological lecture. He could have said, listen, I'm Jesus, I'm everywhere at once. And I was on the other side of the lake, but I was also here. Don't say I wasn't here, I'm everywhere. He could have talked to her about that. He could have said, listen, Mary, I'm Jesus, I'm never late. I got here exactly when I wanted to get here. I wasn't a day late. I wasn't a day early. I am perfectly on time, whether you agree with it or not. He, he could have said, listen, Mary, I am Jesus. I don't need to be here to heal your brother of his disease. If I wanted to heal your brother of his disease, frankly, I could have done it from over there. 
That's, that's not why your brother died. He could have said, Mary, I am Jesus. Who are you to question me about my love for, for your brother? He could have given her a theology lesson. She needed it. But he didn't. What did he do? Well, the next verse says, when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews that had come with her were crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was troubled. So Jesus saw Mary's broken heart. And you know, at this point, he could have said, listen, Mary, just knock it off. I'm, I'm about to go raise Lazarus from the tomb and, you know, we're all going to go to Chick-fil-A and celebrate the resurrection and... And, and Mary, just calm down, just calm down. Don't, don't be so, so hasty. I'm here. I'm in control. And, but he didn't say that either. He knew that was about to happen. What did he do? Well, that brings us to John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. He didn't give her the answers. He didn't try to explain the theology, even though he could have, and he would have been right. He didn't tell her it wasn't a big deal. Just give it some time. You'll be okay. It won't be so bad tomorrow. He didn't do any of those things. He saw somebody that was hurting. And instead of trying to give her the answers, he gave her what she needed. She needed somebody to love her and to grieve with her and to cry with her. And that's what Jesus did. So what answer would you have given to Sally in the hospital? Well, here's the rest of the story. Sally hears some disturbance at the hospital door. And she hears the nurse tell a visitor that Sally has insisted that she will have no more visitors. And then she hears someone say rather forcefully, I don't care if she doesn't want visitors or not, I'm going in. And so the hospital door flies open and in bolts Nancy, her best friend. They look at each other for a moment in silence. And Nancy embraces Sally and holds her so tight, Sally can hardly breathe. And Nancy says, I love you, and I'm so sorry. And for the first time all day, Sally felt encouraged, and she experienced the love of God through her friend. So sometimes the quick answers aren't always the most helpful answers when it comes to questions about suffering. Number three, the third thing we see in this, in this brief account, sin is more important than suffering. That, that was really the message of Jesus. If you, if you go back here in, in this story, the people come and they say, Jesus, some people had suffered. Some people have suffered. And, and Jesus said, well, I know you got a lot of questions about that, but I want you to know the most important thing is not that, not that people suffered. The most important thing is sin. So it seemed like he was changing the story when he said, well, if, if you don't repent of your sin, you too will die. And they might have said, well, we're not even talking about that. But Jesus said, we are talking about that. Because sin is more important than suffering. More important than cancer or violence or hurricanes or the coronavirus. Jesus, Jesus was telling them there's something to be feared more than suffering, and that is sin. If we spent half as much energy trying to eradicate sin in our life as we do trying to avoid suffering in our lives, we would all be different people and God would be more greatly, greatly honored. In fact, much of sin, if you think about your sin, my sin, much of the sin that we commit, we commit because we're trying to avoid suffering, right? People tell less than the truth because they're afraid that they will suffer if they tell the truth. 
People don't handle their money correctly or, or in a godly way because they're afraid they'll suffer if they do. Uh, people engage in sinful activities because they're trying to distract themselves from suffering. Jesus said, you're focused, they're trying to, yes, distract themselves from suffering. Jesus said, you're focused on suffering. He said, really, that focus shouldn't be on suffering. It should be on sin. Don't live your life. How can I avoid suffering? How can I avoid suffering? Jesus said, no, let sin be the thing that you seek to avoid. And then number four, and this is the whole message right here. The grace of God is amazing. If you look at what Jesus said, he said it twice. When I read this, I thought, well, there's a lot of repetition in this story. It could have been a lot shorter. Could have left verses four and five out because they say the same thing. Verse three and verse five are the same verse. It's the same verse. It's said twice because this is, this is the answer. He says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, listen, you will also likewise perish. You will perish as, as well. What he says, and listen to this church, they shouldn't be surprised that some people died. They should be surprised that everybody didn't die. You understand? The surprising thing is not that a few people died. The surprising thing is that everybody didn't die. Because what Jesus is reminding them is that everybody's guilty of sin. You want to talk about whether or not that person over there deserved to die, and that person in a hurricane, and that person in a tragic accident, and that person that has cancer, did those people deserve to die? You, you know, the amazing thing is that we all deserve to die. And that if any of us are drawing a breath, that's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. We don't need to focus on, on how, though, some people suffer and it seems unfair. We're going to preach about fairness in, in two weeks. But, but we shouldn't focus on whether that's unfair. We ought to see that it is unfair. But the unfair part is that any of us would survive. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin, that means the result of sin, the consequences of sin, what we deserve because we sin is death. Every person, all of us deserve to die. Let's don't marvel that a few people over there died of, of coronavirus or a car accident or a hurricane or anything else. When we hear of somebody suffering, we should marvel that we're not all suffering and that we haven't, we haven't all died. What Jesus is pointing to is the, is the good news. It's the gospel that our only hope in this life to avoid the ultimate suffering of death without Christ, of hell, eternal hell. The only hope we have is not that we can live a perfect life. We've already sinned and we will continue to sin. And we deserve that. Our only hope is that we put our trust in Jesus. Our only hope is that we let the death of Christ substitute for our death. And that we have life because he gave us his life. Jesus said, don't be surprised that they died. Be surprised that you didn't die and now come to me for forgiveness. Come to me for the only hope you have. That's his message. Why do people suffer? Why is there suffering in the world? We could give a lot of answers to that question, but it comes down to this. Listen, it's not surprising to me that people suffer. It's surprising to me that we don't all suffer. It doesn't surprise me that some have died. It surprises me that we haven't all died because of our sins. 
And that should drive us to the throne of, of the Lord, to the foot of the cross, to seek forgiveness for the only one who can provide it. You know, there's one last thing I want to say about suffering. I think it just draws it all together. Uh, you suffer at times. I suffer at times. But God suffers as well. You know, some have suggested that God, if he were really God, would have created a world where there was no suffering. Why didn't God create such a world where there was no suffering? Well, we could get into some pretty high weeds talking about the theological and philosophical reasons why that's not possible. And, and, and you could agree or disagree. But listen, here's something that we can't agree on. God could have invented a world where he didn't suffer, right? Now, I don't, I don't know if God could have created a world where nobody suffered and people still had free will. I mean, that, that's something that the, the philosophers can debate until they die. But it is clear he could have created a world where he didn't suffer. But he didn't. Because he loves us, he suffered for us. Think about the life of Jesus. Jesus was born in a feeding trough, not a 21st century birthing suite. Those of you who've had, had babies a few years ago and maybe you've had children have had babies now, you know that everything has changed at the hospitals, right? I mean, it's like Taj Mahal compared to what it was a few years ago. And Jesus was born, God could have had him born anytime. Could have been born today in Nacogdoches with our fancy hospitals. But Jesus was born in a feeding trough, not a 21st century birthing suite. Jesus was born to poor homeless immigrants, not to nobility. God could have done that differently. Jesus was despised, ridiculed, spit on, disrespected. God could have done it differently. Jesus could have been respected, feared, and worshipped. Jesus was crowned with, a, with thorns. God could have created it such that Jesus would have been crowned with gold. At different times in Jesus' earthly life, he felt the abandonment of his family. He felt the abandonment of his closest friends. He even felt the abandonment of his Father in heaven on the cross. Jesus died a shameful, violent, painful death instead of calling down the legions of angels from heaven. See, God, God could have created a world where he didn't suffer, but he didn't. Because he loves us. And so when we go through suffering, or somebody we care for goes through suffering, we have a choice. We can point our fingers at God and say, this isn't fair. And for all the reasons we've talked about, that's wrong. Or we can say, God, I know that I have not suffered as you have. And you chose to suffer because you love me. And now you love me in the midst of my suffering. And we could run to Jesus just with your head bowed and eyes closed. If you're in our summit service, uh, Caleb, our college minister, is going to be at, front, at the front here in just a moment, just before you, to receive you. If you would like somebody to pray with you, if you'd like somebody to encourage you, he'll be right here. In this service, in our celebration service, I will be here, Mark will be here. If you'd like for somebody to pray for you, you're going through suffering, you need Christ, you come forward, let us, let us help you, let us encourage you today. Father in heaven, there is suffering in all of our lives. 
It's hard. It asks, causes us to ask questions sometimes that are very difficult. But thank you that you know and you have been there and you've provided a way for us to have the forgiveness that leads to hope and leads to eternal life. Help us when we suffer not to run away, but to run towards you with all our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.